Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 33, which says this. When Jesus heard about it, being the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the, from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food from them for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. They commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, beside women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea, very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Lord, we know that your word is authoritative, inspired, inerrant. And yet, even with these simple stories, we can't have it penetrate our hearts 
enter our minds, transform our lives, if not for your Spirit's help. So we ask that you would empower us by your Spirit to have your Word come alive in us. Give us faith to see what is unseen in these stories for your glory and our joy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you heard about these stories before. If you were to think about Jesus' life, these would be two of the most common stories that you hear about Jesus. Even atheists that grew up in the church around the United States would be able to say that Jesus Christ walked on water. I'm sure some of us, I won't ask who, have tried to walk on water. I'm sure all of us remember seeing Sunday school stories with with a little felt Jesus character stuck on the board, waddling his way through the water. Or Jesus holding a cute little cartoon loaf and, and giving it out to the crowds. And so it's easy for us when we hear stories that we have heard over and over again about Jesus to to feel the monotonous repetition of stories that we have heard about Christ. Like characters on a felt board. But what I want to do this morning is breathe life into this fabric and show that Christ's audacious claims about who he is and what he came to do are revealed in these two stories. So we're going to overview these stories and Lord willing take a deeper look into what Christ is trying to communicate to his people about who he is and what he has come to do. So this is the main idea this morning. Jesus is king, so worship him. Jesus is king, so worship him. Two points this morning. Firstly, looking at the feeding of the 5,000 from verses 13 to 21, Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. Number two, Jesus reigns. It's from verse 22 to the end of that section in verse 33. Jesus reigns. So we're going to look at these two things that Jesus does and see how that leads us to the worship of God. Point number one, Jesus satisfies. Read with me from verse 13. When Jesus heard about it being the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Jesus hears a story about John the Baptist. His head gets chopped off because he rebukes a leader. And he hears about his death and he separates himself and he grieves. Think about this. Even Christ grieved. There's something heartbreaking about death, isn't it? So it's inherently wrong that, that twists in our gut when we think about death. It's not the way that it's meant to be. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I wonder where you look for hope in death. Where do you go for hope and peace? Let's read on from verse 13. When the crowds heard this, 
They followed him on foot from the crowds, or from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Notice Jesus' compassion for the people. He is in deep anguish, mourning over the death of his cousin. And yet when he sees his fanboys come onto the shore, he doesn't respond with retaliation or frustration or anger. He looks upon the crowd and he feels compassion on them. Jesus cares for the crowd and Jesus cares for you. Have you ever felt like you're a burden to people? You are never a burden to Jesus. He will always care for you. And, and Jesus, then, after healing their sick, shows his care for the crowd in a remarkable way. Look at verse 15. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted. It's already late. Send the crowds away so that they could go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. Now let's pause there for a moment. The disciples are saying something incredibly reasonable. There is no food. They need to eat. So what do you do if you need to eat? You go get food. But Jesus doesn't seem to want them to go away. So is Jesus just a sadistic guy who wants to see his followers starve? No, he doesn't want them to go away because if you look at what he says there, they don't need to. And then he tells them that they should feed them. And the reason why Jesus says that apart from ticking off his followers and his disciples, is because he's about to do something extraordinary. Look at verse 17. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, he said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up the 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who, were, who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, which really were more like biscuits and sardines that Ben eats for lunch. So imagine if you pull fish from these tin cans and grab five Popeye's biscuits and he uses that to feed 5,000 people. Actually, double that if you count the women. And even more than that if you count the children. Now, I'm sure that this, this story could feel like just characters on a film board. But take a moment to think about what just happened. God incarnate takes five biscuits and two sardines and creates matter. 
Only God is able to create something out of nothing. Jesus is capable of feeding thousands with biscuits and sardines. In addition, look at the leftovers in verse 20. They picked up the 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. How many baskets? 12. Now, where have you seen the number 12 before in the scriptures? Yeah, the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so think about this for a moment. Not only does God incarnate create matter out of nothing and feed thousands of people, the Messiah and a crowd of Jews are in a deserted place, which is the same word in the Greek for the wilderness, and the people need food to eat. And God incarnate, who's dwelling with his people, causes bread and fish to multiply and spawn enough to have 12 baskets left over. What do you think Jesus is trying to say there? Jesus is feeding his people the same way that God fed his people in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus, with manna and quail. Jesus is performing that same miracle. And as he's doing it, he's calling this image to mind. And notice how Matthew describes the people in verse 20. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They were satisfied. When you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. He sits you on green pastures. And he provides you with true bread. The bread of life. Friends, whatever you've been munching on for satisfaction, it won't. See, Satan is going to offer you bubblegum idols. Where you chew and chew and chew and your stomach doesn't get filled. Only Jesus provides true bread. Only Jesus can satisfy. And that bread that he provides for us isn't just a buttery Popeye's biscuit. It's actually himself. Listen to these words from John 6 with the same miracle. From verse 47, he says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will, that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus offers us true bread because Jesus offers us himself. Bethany Baptist Church, get this bread. Get it. Grab it. Feast on Jesus and give bread, this bread, to others. There's plenty to go around. Many need to hear. I mean, isn't that why we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Isn't that why we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning? This is my body broken for you. And as we eat and as we feed on Christ in faith, we think about his sacrifice. 
And there, at his broken body, we find all that we need. That's point number one. Jesus satisfies. Let's go to the second story. Number two, Jesus reigns. Read with me from verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. So Jesus manages to resist food coma and dismisses the crowds immediately. Dispels of them. This is likely because when Jesus does his miracle, they know what he's doing. And they know that he's supposed to be the Messiah. But they're thinking that Jesus is there to overthrow the Roman Empire. So rather than making him king, he, he dispels of them. And Jesus dismisses the crowd and goes up of the, on the mountain to pray. Think about this. He rejects kingship on the earth for the sake of going up to a mountain and spending time with God. He halts whatever looks tangibly awesome so he can take time to pray. Jesus prioritizes time with his father over whatever good gospel work he was doing. Do you take time to pray? Often our prayerlessness isn't due to our priority of the best thing or the thing that you just need to get to right now. But it's usually because we ignore the blessing of communing with the best thing. Our Father. I hope that you come tonight to pray with us in the evening service and prioritize the best thing. Let's read on from verse 24. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So, the wind is blasting against the disciples as they're rowing. As seawater batters their face, they see the silhouette of a man walking. It's a ghost! Now, I don't believe in ghosts. So, are the disciples just chicken? No. I actually recommend that you got to cut the disciples some slack here. The sea was considered to be the domain of death, darkness, and chaos. So, as they're battling against the waves, they're not just thinking about battling a storm, they're literally on death, thinking about death, barely afloat on the realm of the dead, and a man begins walking towards you on the water. I mean, if I was there, I might have thought it was a ghost too. And Jesus walks and puts the realm of the dead underneath his feet. Job 9.8 says this, He alone, God alone, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. 
And he tells them in verse 27, have courage. It is high. Don't be afraid. Why are the disciples not to be afraid? What's the reason for that? Because it is Jesus. This isn't just relief that's not a ghost. Like, oh, thank God, it's, it's Jesus. This is Jesus who stilled the storms with his words. The disciples have had a front row seat to see everything that Jesus had done, and they know that wherever he is, they are safe. Let's read on from verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, he said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter asks Jesus to command him to come onto the water. And, and Jesus does. And Peter walks on the water. And as he walks, he sees the strength of the wind that was battering against them. And he does the opposite of what Jesus commanded him to do, doesn't he? Jesus says, don't be afraid. And says here, if you look at the verse, at verse 30, he begins to become afraid. He does the opposite. Oftentimes, when, when Christ calls to you, the assumption will be that the storms are still. And yet the winds are still blowing just as hard at Peter as he's obeying Christ's commands to come to his Savior. And as the waters begin to swallow him, he cries out in desperation, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him immediately. Here's words from Psalm 18, verse 16. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. And Jesus responds with these words, You of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Peter would have been fine if he kept on his eyes on Jesus instead of the winds. He would have sunk. He would have been fine. At the same time, Peter was fine. Even when he doubted, Peter was fine. Because Jesus grabbed him. Peter's doubt sunk him into the deep. And yet, Jesus still grabbed him. See, friends, the reason why we shouldn't doubt isn't because we'll sink. It's not, don't doubt unless you sink into the water. The reason why you are not to doubt is because Jesus will always catch you. Jesus is telling Peter, I will always be there. Why did you doubt? He is perfectly reliable. But still, this story 
can feel like characters on a felt board. So where's the majesty here? Was Jesus just performing a really cool magic trick? What does this have to do with Jesus' reign, John? Point number two, Jesus reigns as an odd thing for walking on water. Well, let's retread this story with a different lens. So, jump back to the disciples in the boat, on top of what they understand as the realm of the dead. Then the realm of the dead roars against them, like a character who's opposing them. Look at, look at the language that's used in verse 23 here. Right? That the winds battered by the waves. The wind was against them. In other words, death is literally roaring against them. Opposing them. Attacking them. Trying to swallow them. And when they see a ghost, they think that they're seeing someone from the dead coming to take their life from them. See, this wasn't just like a ghost showing up like Casper. This was the Grim Reaper. But rather than the reaper, it's Jesus himself walking on the water, literally putting the realm of the dead underneath his feet. Think about that. And what does Jesus say when he calls out to his disciples? He says, have courage. I am. Don't be afraid. I am. What does that remind you of? Yeah, it reminds you of Exodus 4. Yahweh shows up in the burning bush in front of Moses. And what does he say? He says, tell the people that I am sent you. And does the Exodus have anything to do with walking and water? Yeah. Moses walked his people through the sea. And here, Jesus is walking on the sea. Jesus is making a clear claim that he is the God who delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now let's jump to Peter. Peter climbs out of the boat and walks towards Jesus and begins to sink towards death. Death is swallowing Peter up. And what does Peter do? He cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately Christ grabs him and pulls him out from the dead. Who is our only hope in life and death? Christ, who is able to pull us out of death itself. There are few things more terrifying in this life than death. Death is the great inevitable. It batters against your vitality, pushes your mortality against you. It's the great unknown, the great chaos, the inevitable storm of life. And yet, when you cry out to Jesus, he catches you. He catches you. Hear these words from Isaiah 43. 
Now, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire. And the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. The Messiah came to reign. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God and put the realm of the dead underneath his feet. And yet, the way that he rules over the realm of the dead wasn't just by walking over it, but by submerging himself in it. When Christ died on the cross, he plunged himself into death. The consequence of God's wrath. We deserve to die for our sins. We deserve to be swallowed up. And Christ takes that penalty for us. And he emerged from that sea that Sunday victorious over sin and death. And when the women arrive at the empty tomb that resurrection morning, they see a man emerge from the realm of the dead. And what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. If you're not a Christian, quell your fear of death and cry out to Jesus. He will catch you. He will have compassion on you and provide you with everything that you need. And what greater response can we give who have trusted in this Christ who has grabbed hold of us? What greater response can we give than that that the disciples gave in verse 33? Let's read together. Then those in the boat worshipped him. And said, truly, you are the Son of God. This is in great contrast earlier to when Jesus was napping on the boat. And the storm was was raging. And they wake Jesus up saying, Jesus, save us. And Jesus goes out and he says, quiet, be still. And immediately the calm sets in. Storm stops. And what are the disciples' response? Who is this? The winds and the waves obey him. And here in chapter 14, the disciples have their answer. This man is the son of God. Ruler over the dead. Conqueror of death. King of all. He is the son of God. He is worthy of our praise and adoration. Come to Christ. Conqueror of sin and death. Eat and be satisfied. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your redeeming work on the cross. Thank you for entering the realm of the dead on our behalf. 
saving us from our sin. Thank you that we can trust you in the midst of the storms of death and any trial in this life that we can come to you and find full security, full satisfaction in your rule and reign. So we ask that you would come quickly. Make things right. In the meantime, while the storms continue to batter, we trust you. And and we remember you, even now, as we eat and drink. And we find our satisfaction in you.